Well, good morning. Good morning. Great to see y'all. Uh, if you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. Grateful to have you with us. Uh, Got to tell you that uh, super excited about today. If you are a guest, let me just invite you to, to do one thing. If you pull out your phone, turn on the camera, and put on the QR code on a chair in front of you, it'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. So all the information you want to know about our church, you can find there. Uh, you can follow along in the sermon notes and email those to yourself just as to have a record of what God was doing in you today. Uh, there's also a guest information button. If you click that button, scroll down, fill out a little bit of information. At the bottom, there are five different ministries we support from all of our campuses. If you check one of the boxes that, that is of interest to you, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry in your honor. Just say thanks for coming today and uh, checking in with us. Uh, for everyone who's been here going through the series with us today, uh, you know, this week rather, this, this month, um, we are finishing up the series. So uh, this is an, an amazing series, but you, many of you were following along with a devotional on our app. So if you don't have the app, you know, you should do that. Check it out. Uh, go to LifePoint, Ohio, the little blue starburst, download that. The little button there that says DriveCast, uh, we had a devotional that people have been going on. Most people, over the course of a month, we might have 100 interactions with the DriveCast. Over the last month, there have been 11,000. So many of you have created a habit of using this as your devotional tool. So after today, on Monday morning, it'll revert back to our normal rhythm of the DriveCast. So each day, Monday through Friday, one of the teaching pastors does a devotional based on the text that we cover on Sunday. So you can still do that. A great five-minute, ten-minute devotional at the, at the max, I think, if people get windy. Um, that said, next week, we start a new series called Now Playing. You have been around LifePoint. You know Now Playing is bonkers. It's super fun. We look at how film and faith collide, and we say that uh, in film, sometimes good stories often point to great stories in Scripture. And so next week we start that series. It's going to be awesome. There's candy and, like, soda for, and popcorn for everyone if they want that. Uh, so that's available. So, you know, great time to invite some friends. It's just a blast. But uh, it also means that uh, during Now Playing, typically we have a lot more people that come that are guests. So in two weeks, we are actually going to do a third service. So here's what that means. Uh, We're going to do a, um, a 9 o'clock. So the 9.30 is shifting down to 9 o'clock. We're going to do a 10.30 service, which is what we expect most of our guests are going to come to. And then we're going to do a 12 o'clock service. And the, it's going to have full kids at all of the services. But all the students will no longer meet at 12.15 after service. They will meet during the noon service. So here's what that means for you. Now, last week, if you were here in this service, you knew that nobody could find a seat. And we had people leaving the parking lot because they couldn't find parking spaces. So it's a little bit lighter today, but last week was insane. And so here's what that means. We want as many of you to go to the noon service as possible if you're available to do that. So think, if your kids are going to be here anyway, maybe go to noon. If you want to open up space for the 1030 service, which is where a lot of the guests are going to come, that would be awesome. And the 1030 service is going to stink. Like, you're not even going to like it. Well, I'm, you know, <laughs> you should go to the noon so or the nine. So just, just letting you know that. The idea behind this is we want to open up space to reach more people in the community. And if they come in and can't find a parking space, they don't come back. 
So it's, it's kind of a big deal. So that's it. If you're able to do that, we want you to do that. If you want to serve in kids at any of the services, this is opening up, I think, about 12 spots in kids. So if you want to serve and you've not been serving, it's a great opportunity to jump in and help out one of the teams. They're moving them all around, so it doesn't mean you have to serve at noon or 9 or 10.30. It just means you can serve. And, and you know, if you go to a service, serve at a service, that's a great way to serve the church. So that said, I was thinking about the Bengals this week. Because last week... There were a lot of people that showed up in Bengals gear. And if you came in today and you were like a Bengals fan, some people I think showed up last week because they, they were trying to get right with God and hoping that was gonna happen, you know? <laughs> so if you're a Bengals fan, you know what happened. It just, they had their chances. They were so close to going back to the Super Bowl and, and they were tied going in, you know, in the fourth quarter and they had, they had two drives where they could have done something. They just didn't get it done. And on that last series, you know, it, it, they just made so many mistakes. And in 19 seconds, the Chiefs came down and I know there's a Chiefs fan in the room and you're excited. Like I hear, I see you, Jared. But <laughs> most of the people in the room weren't happy. And, and I'll tell you, I have many people in my life that are Bengals fans and I felt so bad for them. None more than my brother-in-law, Steve. I've known him since I was 15. So we're talking like 30-some years. Like I've, I've, I've watched him be a Bengals fan his whole life and he's never got to see them win a Super Bowl. And so I was texting him and sending him videos and we were cheering him on. I was just rooting for him, not that I care, but I want him to experience that win. And, and then when they lost, I felt so bad for him. So I was talking with him and here's what he said. The future is bright in Cincinnati. Do you know why? If you're a football fan, it's a quarterback-driven league, and they found the quarterback. This kid, Joe Burrow, is the real deal. He is a superstar, and he's young. They're going to have him a long time. So he's saying, look, this hurts, this moment hurts, but the future is bright. Why? Because there's a source. See how it works? You see, in this series, we're talking about how we're not without hope. Because why? Because Jesus is the source of enduring hope. Not a quarterback who might have a 10 or 15 year career. We're talking about expands uh, beyond our wildest imagination of time and circumstances. Jesus is our source of enduring hope throughout all generations. No matter the circumstances in our life, he is that source of enduring hope. Now, if you've been around a little bit, you know, then you know there are times in life that are super difficult and we need a source of hope. And I think as a believer, you recognize, okay, that this isn't all there is. Jesus has a plan for all of this and, and I can follow him and trust in him, put my hope in him. But I can tell you that for people who don't have hope in Christ, they struggle with the same things that we do. But everyone wants hope. I, I, I do funerals a lot as a pastor. And one thing I've noticed is that the funerals are different for people who were believers, the whole vibe in the room is different. And I've been to enough of them now to just witness this firsthand. It's just different. For those who have hope in Christ, the vibe is completely different. And let me tell you that if, even though you have a source of hope, it doesn't mean that life isn't tough. And so if you came in today and let's say you feel like maybe your relationship with God isn't tight, right? Maybe it's not as strong as you were hoping it was, you know, that it should be, or maybe you're trying to get right with God, or maybe you're just investigating God. Let me tell you what you have in common with me is that deep down when life is tough, you need something. You need someone. You need hope. Otherwise, it gets hopeless. So the question then is, well, how do we find hope? How do we cling to hope? That's what we're gonna talk about today. 
And if you came in today and you're struggling, my prayer has been that God would give you hope. If you came in today and you're like, I'm doing great, my prayer is that God would give you hope. And if you came in today and you feel like, you know, I wanna get right with God, my prayer is that God would give you hope. So let's take a second and let's pray. I want you to take a second. You pray for you that God will speak to you and I'll pray for all of us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would use the word of God, that you would use this time, this, uh, this little few minutes that we have, Lord, to speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in your son's name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, we're gonna look at just verse 13 through 18. Now I know this is the end of the series and we've been going through 1 Thessalonians and there's a lot more to be covered, uh, but I'm just gonna cover a few verses because I believe this is where uh, we will find some hope today. Um, and I'm gonna say a few things as you, as you kind of track along with me. The first one is this, is that hope impacts the way that we grieve. Hope impacts the way that we grieve. Remember, Paul has been communicating with this church a letter uh, of, he was really excited because he was in Thessalonica and started the church there. And after three weeks, this church gets founded, but persecution breaks out. They had to get Paul and his team out of town. And, uh, you know, persecution still stayed there on these brand new believers, but they got word that they were clinging to the gospel. And so over and over again in this book, you hear him talking about the gospel in different ways, that his encouragement that they're clinging to the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. It's the rescue story of God. The, the beauty of God is that he made us to be in relationship with him. That is what he wanted the whole time. He wasn't looking for servants and, and you know, robots. He was looking for a relationship with people. We were made in his image. The thing is, though, because we choose, all of us choose to put our hand in God's face and say, I'm doing this my way. It's almost like we're saying, no, I know that's you and I, I don't want you to be in charge of me. I wanna live life my way. And then we do things our way. And what happens is that's called sin and it breaks our relationship with God. It doesn't, God doesn't like that. It hurts his heart as much as it hurts us, even though we don't realize it at the time. And sin breaks everything. Particularly, it breaks our relationship with God in such a way because God is holy and eternal and perfect and we're not. He can't just accept us into eternity because then sin would be invited into eternity. He doesn't do that. In fact, he says, none of sin will come into my presence. None of that. So what does he do? He loves us. We choose. So he pursues us by sending his own son down. Because he was fully man, he lived the same life that you and I live. He experienced the same temptation that you and I experienced, fully the same way. But because he was also fully God, he had the ability to not sin. So he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't do. He dies on the cross, pays the penalty for our sin. His blood was shed, so it washes away our sin to anyone who would come to him in faith. And the grace and mercy of God are on display as Jesus Christ rose from the grave. The justice was paid. His grace and mercy is displayed as Jesus rises from the dead. And because he's alive, he sends his spirit everywhere with the message of the gospel through us, the believers, that anyone who hears the message and turns to God, they are made right with God, right relationship with God. Why? How does that happen? How, do you, how does the, the sin inherit eternal life? Because the blood washes away the sin. That's the only way it could be done. You and I can't decide, you know what? I'm just gonna be a good person. I'm just gonna like, I'll be good from here on out. Like we can't do it. We can't pull it off. That's why he did it. That's the message. And Paul's like, I'm so grateful that you're clinging to the gospel. But he reminds them chapter after chapter of something that's coming. He keeps saying, look, but remember, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming back. He's gonna do something. He is gonna make all this right. He's coming. He keeps telling that over and over again. And it brings up a question for these believers. They start to ask, well, what about the people who've died? 
who were believers because they experienced persecution. Some of them may have died in persecution. Some of them may have died naturally, but they're asking the question, well, what about them? Are they gonna miss out on this incredible event? If Jesus is coming back, what about them? That's what they're asking. And here's what he says in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So notice first, he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. The word sleep is a term used here of someone who's a believer who has died. So think of it like this. If you remember back in your Bibles in John chapter 11, there's a story about Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and how Jesus uh, knew about them being sick because the girls got word to him that Lazarus was sick to the point of death. And Jesus says, well, hey, we're not gonna go just yet. So his disciples are like, well, if we go up there to that area, that's where the, you know, the Jews are looking for us. So should we go? And he's like, we're gonna go, but we're gonna wait because Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, what's the big deal? And he looks at him and goes, he's dead. And so they realize, okay, the term sleep in this case means someone who has passed on. So what does that mean? Does some, when someone dies, are they just like in an eternal coma or something like that? No, that's not what that means at all. In fact, remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So what this means is the body now is asleep. The body is gone and the spirit is separated from the body. And that spirit, for those who are believers, go on to be with the Lord. They just don't have their body. So think of your body. When you look at your body, it's like a vehicle. It's not gonna last forever. In fact, if you're of a certain age, you realize your body is not more vibrant. It's not getting more vibrant and it seems like it's going south. Like you just realize this vehicle won't last forever. That's a reality but our spirit is eternal and will go on beyond this body. So then he's saying, okay, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep. Therefore, you won't have to grieve like those who have no hope. And here's what he's saying. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. That is not what this sentence is saying. Believers grieve, but we don't grieve exactly the same way because hope impacts the way that we grieve. That's what he's trying to say to us. And those of you who, who are in the room that understand loss, that have had to say goodbye to people, but you know that they love Jesus, and you do too, you know that one day you'll see them again. It doesn't make it feel better in the moment, but it does do something in your soul to give you peace. I, I have a friend here at work. Um, he probably has the biggest influence over our church of any person in our entire church. His name is Troy Palermo. Now, I bring it up because, you know, as a teaching pastor, I have a pretty big influence on this campus. He impacts all campuses because he runs systems and he helps us do everything that we need to do at all of our campuses. But all of the things that he does is, are behind the scenes. So you don't really know him or, you know, get to interact with him much because he's influencing all kinds of things, but they're all behind. And when I met Troy, I said, Palermo, is that Italian? He goes, yeah. I said, uh, and I made some kind of a, like, oh, I see how it is. You know, I'm like doing this mafia thing. And uh, he goes, well, actually, Palermo is Sicilian and there's mafia in my family. I'm like, is that right? He goes, yeah. Have you ever heard of Blinky Palermo? I'm like, no, he's like, yeah, he was a famous mobster in the 50s and 60s. That was a big part of my life, or a big part of my family's life on that side. I'm like, is that right? So now, I didn't think much of it, 
And uh, so couple, fast forward a couple years later, I'm getting ready to go on a work trip. And so I'm going to be traveling by plane, have many hours on the plane and the, you know, the airports and all that. And uh, I'm going to have some time during that week by myself. So I thought I'll get a book just for pleasure to read. So I grew up in the 80s and I really liked boxing. Uh, my dad was a boxer. So I really was kind of like had it in, on the TV all the time. And I, I really love this guy named Ray Boom Boom Mancini. You guys remember him from back in the 80s? Great fighter. He's from Youngstown, Ohio. And he was just amazing. So I found this book called The Good Son about his life. Now, I didn't, I just thought it was going to be about his life, but his life intertwines with his dad. His dad was Ray Mancini Sr. He was Ray Mancini Jr. Ray Sr. was a boxer in the 50s and 60s and was really good, but he never won the title. So his son, and that's the book, it interacts how he really wanted to fulfill his dad's dream and he dedicated his career to become champion that his dad couldn't be. Now, in reading the book, it's a great book, but it intersected this world of boxing in the 50s and 60s that was, had a lot of organized crime that was running it. And it brings up Blinky Palermo. He was in charge of Youngstown. And I'm going, here's the moral story. Don't mess with Troy. <laughs> if Troy says, hey, I need you to do a favor, like, what do you say to that? I don't know if I can do a favor. I don't want to do a favor for you, Troy. Look. <laughs> He called me this past week. I had to do a funeral on Monday for Tammy's aunt passed away. And uh, he called me on Tuesday and he just said, hey man, how'd it go? I was praying for you, praying for your family. And, and so we just started talking about funerals. I said, you know, Troy, with your position kind of being in the background, do you get asked to do a lot of funerals? He said, honestly, uh, not a whole lot in the last several years. And I'm kind of glad. And I said, how come? He, goes, he said, when my dad died, it wrecked me out. And I just think God's given me some grace and I have to do some funerals for a while. So I asked him what happened. He was just telling me. Now, his dad was in that side of the family, but found Jesus, and his life changed. And that changed the course of, of his, you know, the generations that would follow him. And, of course, Troy was raised to know Jesus. And, and his dad had this incredible influence in his life, and they were so tight. And, you know, he, he just, he loved his dad. He said, and the last eight days of his life, he was in a coma. I mean, he was, you know, in a coma. Eight days, they're in the hospital. He and his mom, they're in the hospital room with their dad. And he said, the strangest thing happened. He goes, a presence came in the room. I cannot explain it, but it was a good presence. My mom and I both felt it. My dad sat up. He's looking at whatever this thing is. He gets this huge smile on his face. He looks right at my mom and goes, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then he's gone. His mom said, how am I supposed to cry after that? When Troy told me the story, I thought, it didn't mean that they didn't grieve. It didn't mean that it didn't wreck Troy. They just don't grieve the same. Because there's a hope that this is not all there is. There's something more that's happening beyond this life. And I think in light of eternity, this life is going to seem really small. Hope impacts the way that we grieve. Secondly, is that we have a promise that gives us incredible hope. This is what Paul says in verse 14 through 17. And I hope that you've heard this passage before, but if not, I'm gonna walk you through it. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So we will always be with the Lord. This passage, if you've been around church, you know that this is the passage where we commonly refer to the rapture. What is the rapture? The word there, the Greek word, basically means to snatch up. Uh, Several years ago, they were doing some work on my condominium complex that Tammy and I live in, and they were moving all the shingles off the roof, and all these nails went flying everywhere, and they didn't pick them all up. So they were in the grass, they were in the pavement, they were on the street, and so Tammy and I, we got this long pole that has this really strong magnet underneath, and all I had to do was just wipe it along the grass, and you could hear, tick, 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 tick. I'd pull up, there'd be like 100 nails on there. That is the same word, to snatch up. The word, we will be caught up with him in the air. We're being brought up. Now, what is that exactly? That is called the rapture. Jesus is coming for the church. And so they're asking, well, you know, what about those who are asleep, those who have died? He's saying, no, those who are asleep are gonna be coming up first. They're gonna be resurrected first, and then we will meet him in the air. Now, when you think resurrection, don't think, okay, that, you know, then all of a sudden they come to life. Resurrection always refers to the body. The spirit is already alive. Remember, we talked about that, but the body will come to life. And so Jesus is going to come to gather his church to himself in the rapture. And it'll be the greatest reunion you've ever experienced in your life. You will see people you haven't seen in years. You will know people that you've never met, and yet it'll be so far without time limits and no sin. It's going to be incredible, and we're going to have new bodies. I'm going to explain that in a second. It's going to be amazing. Just think about that for a second. He's coming back so that we'll be with him forever. Now, this brings up lots of questions that we have, uh, and I'm sure that you have theological questions, and here's the deal. I cannot answer them all in the short amount of time that I have. And I can't take your questions right now because I only have a short amount of time. What I will do is come up with, I have five questions I think that are very general that all of us are gonna ask. So I'm gonna cover those. And I'll tell you this, we are gonna do a series on Revelation in the fall that I think will be very interesting to everyone. I think you'll like that. It'll answer more questions. But what are the questions? Well, the first one is this. I think, what happens to dead bodies? So Aunt Bessie was cremated. Does that mean that God can't work with that? And, uh, you know, like she... She's, she's done, like her body's gone. There's no body. Well, let me answer that. It doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 35 through 44, Paul talks about the body, what will happen with the body. And here's what he says. In the same way that you would put a kernel into the ground and it would come out something new, the same way happens with the body. Your body was sown in corruption. So all of us experience sin and the effects of sin in our life, which means we age, we feel sick, we you know, have problems, diagnosis. This happens because our bodies were sown in corruption. But what's gonna happen is we'll go down into the ground and what comes up will be incorruptible. Paul says we will have a new body, not like this one. God doesn't need that body to make the new one. Does that make sense? We will have a new body. What will the new body be like? Well, it doesn't exactly say, but we do get a hint that will be like Christ. Remember when Christ came back from his resurrection, that his body wasn't limited by the world's realm that we see. So it'll be like that. It's gonna be incorruptible. I'm hoping I'm taller. (laughs) I don't know. So is this the second coming of Christ? Not exactly, no. You see, the second coming of Christ 
always refers to typically the day of the Lord. What you hear about in the Old Testament language and you hear about in the New Testament language, the day of the Lord is a completely different thing from the rapture. In the rapture, Jesus is coming back in the clouds to gather his believers to himself. Remember in Acts 1.8, it talked about how we're going to be his witnesses and power will come upon us. But then it goes on to say in the angels, like Jesus, you know, goes into heaven and the angel says, look, Jesus will come back exactly as he came in the clouds. So that is when he comes to gather his believers to himself. The second coming is when he's coming there during a time after a a tribulation period that will hit the earth. The tribulation period we know is a seven-year period that's going to hit the earth, and the wrath of God will pour out against all of his enemies. The enemies are going to double down. They're not going to repent. They're going to double down and try to fight Israel and kill Israel. And the second coming of Christ is when he comes to redeem Israel. He will fulfill all the promises in the Old Testament of him coming to be the rescuing Messiah. And at that time, they're finally gonna accept Jesus as their Messiah at the second coming. Do you see there's two different events happening here? So then the question then I think comes, well, when? When does this happen? Well, in chapter five, verse two, Paul repeats what Jesus said. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus said that. He said only the Father knows the time. Not even the Son knows the time. So the question is, why wouldn't he just tell us? Why doesn't God just reveal the time? And I believe the reason is because he wants us to know that it's imminent. It's completely imminent. It could come at any moment. It's gonna come when people don't expect it. I think the reason is in every generation, everyone always expects the end time to be in their generation. My, My grandpa's generation... Like, I remember him telling stories about what they taught about eschatology. That's the story of end times and and how you think about that through scripture. And then my dad's generation, he believed that was going to be the generation. And, you know, I look around and see the signs and I can kind of, you know, see what's happening and read scripture and think, well, man, it looks like close now. It's getting closer, yes. It's imminent, yes. But I don't know. I don't know when. The Bible's not clear. It's not given to us. But here's what I believe. If you and I knew the date we would set it by our calendar and then we'd finally get right with God as close to the date as we can get there. That's not what Jesus wants for our life. So then that brings up another question then. Do believers go through the tribulation period? Like if you read, read a little bit of scripture about it, the tribulation period does not sound good at all and nobody wants to really be part of that. And so do we as believers go through that? Now this seven year period in the rapture, the question, you know, and, and in scripture, it's not exactly clear. Does the rapture happen at the beginning and usher in the seven year period? That's a possibility. Does the rapture come in the middle at the three and a half year mark? Because there seems to be a lot of scripture around that three and a half year mark and how like that's gonna mark a change in what happens during that seven years. And so is that when the rapture comes and then the wrath of God really gets poured out or does he come right at the end before the re- return of Christ and he sets things right? Like, When does it happen? And here's what I want to tell you. There are PhDs on all sides of it. And I'm not as smart as they are. I have trouble spelling PhD. So I tell you that. I don't know the answer. I can tell you how I lean though. Because I think scripture does give us hints of the way I lean. And here's the thing. When you read about the day of the Lord. And and talked about from the New Testament angle. It's always talked about they and them. That pronoun of people who are apart from God enemies of God, people who haven't submitted their life to Christ, it always talks about that outsider mentality. And when it talks about the believers, it always talks about us and we. Here's what he says in chapter five, verse nine. For God has not destined us for wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It seems to me that the wrath that comes is poured out against the enemies of God, and it seems that the body has been saved from that wrath. Whether that's at the beginning or the middle, I, I, don't, I don't know. And I know some of you are Bible nerds, and you're going to write me an email tomorrow. I'm going to forward it to someone else because I don't have the answer, okay, just so we're clear. And I'm really busy. But if you want to meet for coffee, I'll still hang with you. All right, so that brings up another question. Well, what happens to the church? So what happens to the believers when he comes to get us? What, what goes down after that moment? Well, the language in the New Testament gives us a hint. Remember when the night of Jesus' rest, he was having a conversation with his disciples, and he told them, I'm leaving. John chapter 14, and uh, they're like, where, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I go, my father has lots of, lots of mansions and rooms, and like, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come get you. Now, that language, if you study Jewish culture, you realize that when, when a groom would marry a bride, he would go and make a place to bring her into the home. So that would typically be he has his own home or whatever. He lives with family or whatever, and they would make another place for them to live together. Then he would go get her and bring her back. And that's how that would work in Jewish culture. The same language that Jesus used for his disciples, those who follow Christ. He said, I'm going to go to prepare a place. I'm coming back for you. Then there's other language in the New Testament that talks about how he is the groom and the church is the bride. And so he's going to come to get the bride. It culminates in Revelations 19, 6 through 9, where it talks about this event in heaven called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a wedding celebration of the bride and groom. Now, I know it's weird to think of us as like a bride and groom, like guys, get over that. But it's, it's not going to be exactly like that, but it's the culmination of the bringing together of Jesus and his church in heaven. And it seems to happen during this time on earth. It's not like a chronological book in that respect. It's talking about this coming together. And it says, blessed is he who's been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's the language. He's coming for his body. He's coming for the church. And when he does, he's going to make everything right. No more tears. I don't think that means we won't cry. Because I think we'll cry tears of joy. But it seems to be that there's going to be no more loss. There's going to be no more pain. No more effects of sin on any of us. He's going to set it right on earth at some point. He's going to bring in his kingdom on earth. He's going to dwell with mankind in a way that sin no longer impacts that. This should give us great, great hope. This is an incredible promise. He didn't just point fingers at us and say, well, you guys better get it together, because <laughs> he could have. He said, no, I'm coming for you. I'm going to make it right. I'm coming for you. Now, okay, I know this brings up even more questions that you probably have. Here's what I would say, and I heard a pastor say this, and one of our team, team pastors at another campus said, it seems to me that everyone I know really wants a calendar so we can set our life by it. It makes us feel in control. And if I just knew exactly what he was doing, I would feel much more safe. But I think what Jesus wants is an actual relationship with us, one in which we trust in him, we are faithful to him, and we are ready at all times. And what it means by being ready is if I know he can come today, then I would change the way I live today. And can I, can I just give you an opinion about that? I've mentioned this a few weeks ago. As much as I want him to come back, and I do, I, I thought when I was 20, I thought, I mean, I hope the rapture and the, the you know, I hope all that happens years and years away because I just want to live life. I wanted to reach people for Jesus. Now at this 
pace of my life, at this season of my life, here's the thing. If he came tonight, I'd be super stoked. Like, I am totally ready for him to come tonight. If he came, I, would, I hope he comes during the service. Okay, so... Because there's gonna be nothing like it. There's gonna be nothing like it. You're not gonna miss it. This sound, this trumpet, this, this sound of an archangel, I don't think it's gonna be like, well, I was hitting snooze and I missed it. Oh, no. Like, it's not gonna be like that. It's gonna be something. And, and I, I say to all of us in this room, he wants us to know him and to be close with him and he wants to come for us. So, and lastly, and very fast, um, this is a hope that we can cling to. What he says in verse 18, it says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's saying, look, this should be of great hope to you. And maybe you came in today and you have circumstances that are difficult. Someone that you love, or maybe it's you going through a situation or something that's happening, and maybe you came in today and it's difficult and you don't feel a lot of hope because that circumstance is really clouding out the way you see things. My hope is that you'll realize that there's more than just this moment. This is not all there is. And God is gonna make it right. I want you to know that he knows what you go through. He himself watched his son suffer and die. He understands pain. And some of you in this room, you're on this side of grief. And, and you have been there and walked that road. And you might be the only one who can actually encourage someone else. Isn't it true that when you're really suffering and someone who has suffered the same thing looks across the aisle from you and says, I hear you. It means so much to you in that moment for them to say, we're gonna get through this. I promise you. Like you need that in your life. God uses us to be an encouragement to each other. There are some things that are so difficult. There's a video that we put together at all of our campuses and all the teaching pastors debated if we should show it or not because it's, it's heavy. I wanna show it to you. Her name is Charity Wallace and it is heavy and the theme is difficult uh, but I want you to catch, as she's talking about her story, I want you to catch just some of the hope that's in her soul, okay? Let's watch that together. This past uh, Friday night, uh, I had a date night with my 16-year-old daughter, and on the date night, I took her to a parking lot for her to learn to drive for the first time. And as a dad, you know, that'll mean I'll have two teenage girls driving. Like, I, I don't know what charity goes through. I know... If, I know it's like the fear. I know that charity is connected to other people at Lewis Center campus that have lost kids. And now they have a, a bond that helps them that you know, couldn't have been formed otherwise. I know that God meets people in their grief. But I know that one day she will see her daughter. I kind of wish I could be there for that minute. Um, I want to see that. You know, I don't know what she feels. I have sat across the table from people who've lost their kids. I know grief, though. I've lost people who I love. I've lost both my parents. I've lost a dear friend. I've been to many, many funerals. I, I, I know grief. It's difficult. And it feels like it swallows you up like you're in oil and trying to keep your head above it and you can't really swim. You're just hoping it doesn't overtake you. That's what it feels like. I think what I heard in her story is that in the midst of all that, there is some hope. There's a longing that, that Christ is meeting with her, touching her soul, and longing for the day she gets to see her daughter again. 
I would say to you, if you came in here today and you're in the midst of grief, that this is not all there is. There's a promise that God is coming. He's gonna make it right. There's a promise that there will be a day we'll be present with him. There's a promise there. And if you're in the midst of a hopeless feeling, a situation, a circumstance, I would say don't do that alone. Get involved in a life group. Get with other believers in your life that, are, that know what that's like. I would say that as an encouragement to you because there are believers who probably walked a similar path and you need them in your life. For some of you who you're on this side of this, you're already in the healing phase. It's time to let God use that and leverage that to help other people. So be on the lookout for those who hurt. As we finish up here in a minute and we stand to pray, if, if you need some prayer, just head back to our next steps area in the back left. There'll be someone back there to meet you there and you don't have to tell them all the circumstances. Just ask for some prayer and they will pray over you. Maybe you came in today and you're like, I'm, I'm good. Things are going really good right now. And remember that God has a plan for your life. Be ready. Be present with the Lord in relationship. Allow that to start to sweep into your soul because God has a plan. He wants to use your life and draw you close. And if you came in today and you're like, I don't know that I'm right with God. There's a tendency to, in a moment like this, here's what we do. We think about God and we're like, I should get right with God. But we think, oh, I've got more time. I'll just wait till later. Like, I want this to settle in and we just don't embrace that. You know, the Bible says that today is a day of salvation because you have no idea what's gonna happen tomorrow. This week, the funeral that I did for Tammy's aunt, she only knew she was sick for 10 days. She went into the hospital. She couldn't breathe very well. She had a huge mass in there. It had metastasized. I mean, she was gone in 10 days. We're saying goodbye to her. Like, you don't know. And look, I never felt that way at 20, but at this point in my life, I realized that no, no day is promised to you. So I would say to you, get right with God now. If the rapture came tonight, you wanna be there. You wanna see him. And I say that to you because Jesus actually wants this relationship more than you do. He doesn't need to, you know, like frighten you into a relationship. He's trying to rescue you from sin and all that sin entails. If you've never done that, get right with God. You can do that in faith. I'll walk you through a prayer in a second. But it's about you saying, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start to follow Jesus. Wherever you're at, I wanna help you take a step. So let's stand and pray together. We're gonna sing a last song which talks about how, you know, we're fighting a battle that he's already won. And, and the language behind that is pretty cool because you and I fight a battle of sin in our life. And if you're a believer like me and you, you realize that that sin is a constant battle in your life. You have to like fight against. And, and I know that he's already paid for my sin. He's already won that battle over my life. But I don't want any part of that as like dragging me down. I don't want that brokenness in my life. So I'm, I have to fight, but he's already won the battle. And when we sing that, we get to proclaim back to him. We see that you paid for this. And if you, you feel like, man, I don't know that I can have hope. Let me tell you something. If you were looking at the cross at the moment the cross happened, you would have had no hope. Because that was a symbol of destruction that happened. Everyone who believed in Jesus in that moment, they were in despair. But three days later, the cross became a symbol of hope for generations. Because Jesus used that moment to kill sin and death forever. To defeat it. He won the battle. And now, because he's alive, he draws us close in relationship to set us free of sin and death. 
wherever you're at, let's talk to God. Just kind of close your eyes, bow your head and talk to him. If you're in the midst of a difficult time, I am going to pray that God will just wash his grace and mercy over your life to meet with you and to heal you from the inside out. If you're here and you're like, I'm, things are going well, I'm gonna ask that you pray for someone else in, in your life. Just that God will use his grace and mercy to help them to see who, you, who he is. And if you're here and you've never made the decision to follow Christ, here's what you do. It's a heart issue. And by faith, you simply say to God, God in heaven, I believe in you. Tell him that. And I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Maybe you've, been, you've believed that your whole life. Tell God right now, God, I believe that you did that. The Bible also says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's how you do that. You simply say to Jesus, Jesus, will you please come into my life? Please forgive me of my sin. I am sorry. I'm asking you, Jesus, will you come in? Will you lead my life? I wanna follow you as best I know how. Will you receive that? Just tell him that. You need to know that is all he wants from you. He wants your faith. That's what he wants. That's what pleases the heart of the Lord is your faith. And he wants to lead you in life. And what that means is that as he tries to lead you, just as you sense him leading, just follow. I'm gonna help you do that for a second. One of the things that Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you just prayed that prayer, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that. And here's what I want you to do. Between you and me and God, I want you to acknowledge that. If you prayed that prayer, I simply just want you to raise your hand up and say, Lord, I want you to see that. Ed, I want you to see that. If that's you, I see you there in the back. Anyone else? Raise your hand up high enough I can see that. If that's you, just raise it up. Say, today was my day. I want to acknowledge Jesus. Anyone else? Raise them up high enough I can see. Yes, I see you there. You may put your hand down. Anyone else? Today was your day. You want to acknowledge Christ. God, I pray first and foremost that you would comfort the souls of those who are hurting. Lord, I, I have a friend in my life that every time this friend thinks about her, her loved one, she can't even talk. I pray, Lord, that I know she knows you and I pray that you just, through your spirit, just give her your grace. Lord, there are many people in this room that understand that I pray your grace would be on them. Lord, bring your healing on them. God, for those in this room who, who they understand grief, Lord, I pray you would use them, leverage their life to be a healing um, tool for others. Lord, use their life. And God, for those who are taking a first step with you, pray you would meet them where they're at. Lord, that they would sense your presence. Lord, walk with them and help them to, to know what it means to follow you. And God, for those in the room who are struggling with this whole decision, they're still trying to figure out if you're, if you're worthy, if you're right, if you're the right path. God, I pray you would meet them where they're at and help them to see you. I ask all this in your son's holy name. Amen.